Women in Sports. Unfiltered. Not your average sports podcast and everyday office talk. We're Women in Sports bringing you real topics and real guests from the comfort of our home. This is Women in Sports Unfiltered. I'm Kyra Joyner with co-hosts Jakara Ware and Maka Scott. This episode is entitled Unapologetically Me. Many Black professionals have found themselves being the only person of color in the room or have struggled to find people at their office that they can identify themselves with. This still holds true for sports professionals trying to navigate the corporate culture of the office while trying to balance bringing their whole selves to work. This discussion will dive into having your own voice, embracing people's differences, and being unapologetically yourself at work. I have the pleasure of introducing our amazing guest, Marian Rhodes, Human Resources and Diversity and Inclusion Consultant. With over 30 years of experience as a sports executive in human resources, Marion Rose has transitioned to independent consulting, focusing on fairness, consistency in business practices, and the fair treatment of employees. Marion held the position of Senior Vice President, Chief Human Resources and Diversity Officer for the Arizona Diamondbacks. She rebuilt the human resources and diversity functions while also reinforcing a workplace culture of inclusion where the best and the brightest in the sports industry wanted to work. Prior to joining the Diamondbacks, Rhodes spent 20 years at the St. Louis Cardinals as Vice President of Public Affairs. She oversaw all aspects of the organization's employment and workforce diversity initiatives, in addition to being responsible for office administration, customer service, and public affairs. Marion has received over a dozen awards, but most notably for Major League Baseball's Office of the Commissioner, Most Valuable Diverse Partner Award in connection with the co-hosted MLB Diversity Summit. She received the Titans of the Trade Award presented by Mayweather Promotions. She received Arizona's Business Magazine's 50 Most Influential Women Award and also the Game Changer Award presented by Sports Business Journal. We are delighted to have this Game Changer with us today. Mayor, Mayor, Marion Rhodes, how are you feeling? I'm doing fine. You know, this is this is quite a quite a time that we're going through right now. Right. And I know over these last couple months, everyone has had to make adjustments. Can you tell us what adjustments you've had to make personally and professionally? I think I think personally, I think we're all going through something. I think that, you know, this new norm is different and I don't think anybody has settled into it. Um, you know, one of my biggest challenges is my mom who thinks she needs to go to the pharmacy every day um, just so she can get out of her house. But I think it's changed everyone because, you know, we like to go to the gym, we like to go to restaurants, and now we've all been made to stay at home and, and really look after our health. Um, I've had two immediate family members who've tested positive um, for COVID and, you know, thank God they're all right now. But the littlest things that you do, you don't understand may cause you to uh, end up with COVID. I think professionally, I think it's been a blessing and a curse in that some of the things that have come out of COVID have allowed me to have additional business, you know, because now employees are working from home remotely and organizations are trying to figure figure that out because you know their employees are now caregivers and their teachers and you know thing a lot of things that didn't surround just doing their jobs and the other thing with the the racial injustice and doing some diversity and inclusion work on with organizations trying to figure that out for their employees so you've been busy and i'm personally zoomed out but 
Um, <laughs> to kick us off, l- tell us what does it mean to be unapologetically you? We're familiar with, you know, code switching and being your, being one person at work and another person outside of work or even in different, you know, meetings. You're one person and then you switch to another person depending on who's in the room. So we're familiar with code switching, but tell us a little bit about being unapologetically you and what that means to you. I think being unapologetically me to me has always been being my authentic self and being my authentic self means that I'm going to be the person I desire to be not trying to be something that someone else wants me to be or to meet their expectations. I've always lived with a set of morals, values, beliefs, and truths that, that I hold myself accountable to, you know, but in that vein, I, I expect no, I insist that others treat me in that same in that same manner. I'm a big proponent of that we teach people how to treat us. And is this something that you've always felt comfortable with? Or at what point in your career did you feel more comfortable being yourself? For me, it started early in my formative years. It happened long before I got to a professional career. I grew up and I went to an all-white middle school and high school. So I was a lot of the times in that situation. I was the only black on the basketball team. I was the only black on the volleyball team. You know, I was the only black cheerleader. So, you know, it was a norm for me. So long before I even got to my professional career, that environment was one I had been in for for several years. But the thing about once I did get to my professional career, you know, I looked at it and especially in sports, I came into an organization where I was the first black professional in that organization. And so I'm not trying to say that any of this didn't meet with challenges. They've always been challenges. Mm -hmm. But I think being my unapologetically me and being self-assured helped me to handle those situations and how I was going to deal with them. I definitely know what you mean, Marion. For me, it took some time for me to really feel comfortable to have. But for me, I had to remind myself that I've worked hard to be in this place. I deserve to be at the table. My thoughts matter. My opinions matter. Once I was able to kind of tell myself that, then I kind of got to the point where I felt comfortable being the only minority in the room or the only women in the room. But it took some time to get there. I think also that we get involved in our own stuff. We have to get out of our own way because we're creating stories in our minds that may or may not be true as to what's going on in the organization. I think once you get, you, you get away from that stuff and you say, like you said, you prepared yourself and you, you're ready to occupy any space that you're, you're in at that time. And I think that that's what you have. You have to realize that you deserve to be there. You're not invited to be there. You deserve to be there. Right, right. And then knowing, of course, that you are an advocate for inclusion. You've been an executive for many years And I'm sure some of the challenges that you have faced in the past has been really trying to enforce policy among your peers. What has been some challenges that you've had there that you had to to face? Over the years, I definitely have had pushback when it's come to diversity issues. Pushback comes sometimes with the lack of knowledge. It comes with the lack of education on certain subject matter. Some of it's fear. Some of it's unconscious bias that, that is, is coming into play. But, you know, I never approached the situation when, it was a, when we were going to try to implement change with a hammer. Because I think trying to shove something down someone's throat is not the way to, to gain an ally. 
I always tried to go into it, looking at it and saying, trying to develop an understanding, giving people the value proposition as well as the business case for why we were making the change and why it was good for the organization. And so I think once you paint that picture for them, it becomes more palatable to them. I'm not saying once you've done that, everybody becomes an ally, but I think you've given people the opportunity to ask questions and have them answered prior to any implementation of any changes that you're going to make. I think that makes sense. And I think, especially when you talk about really just sharing knowledge, I think, you know, obviously knowledge is power, but like once they understand um, where you're coming from and understand um, where their employees may be coming from, I can completely see how that's the beginning of, you know, real change. Marion, why do you think uh, Black women conform? Well, you know, when you say Black women conform, I really don't just think Black women conform. I think everyone conforms. And I think people conform for different reasons. Financial reasons, job security, career advancement, being accepted, being labeled. So I think, I don't think we can just tie it to why do Black women conform? I think there's questions you have to ask yourself when you're deciding if you're going to conform. I think you have to decide uh, what you will and will not accept. I think you have to say at the end of the day, at what cost am I conforming? And then I think you have to understand that people are going to conform and for different reasons. And why I may conform may be different than why you conform. So I wouldn't delegate it just to Black women. I think, I think everyone conforms in some shape or fashion. I absolutely agree. And I don't think uh, conforming is a bad thing. I mean, I think you can change the term and put adapt. They, we, everyone adapts to a scenario and to situation. So I don't think that that is a bad thing. What advice would you give to those that are in the industry, in their organizations, and are having a hard time just kind of bringing them whole selves to work? Okay. First, let's define what our whole self means. <laughs> because I don't always think you should bring everyone should bring their whole selves to work. You have to figure out what that means for you. You know, you know, for me, it's, you know, people who are having a problem with struggling with it, bringing their whole self to the workplace. Again, I still think you have to find out what, what are the barriers or what are the stories that you're telling yourself that are making you feel insecure, feel, feeling less than that you can occupy that space. If I feel if you still have done the work, I still feel that you should not feel uncomfortable bringing you to that space. More so, I think, when I think of bringing my whole self to work, for me, it means bringing the best representation of me to the job. And that's always going to be acceptable in that space. I feel like you should bring more of yourself to work, actually. Um, I feel like, you know, people will relate more to you in the office if you're able to give them a little bit of a peek behind the curtain in terms of, you know, who you are, you know, your, your culture, all of that. And I feel like it makes a kind of better environment, better um, workplace environment when, you know, you have more opinions, more diverse thought, mm-hmm. everything. Well, because if we were all the same, how boring would that be? So I think, I think a lot of times in the workplace, people are very interested in learning about the differences that makes each of us who we are. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like you should want to be at a workplace as well that you feel like you can, you know, be valued and encouraged to bring your whole self at work. 
there have been you know, many lawsuits around discrimination based on hairstyles. For example, braids, natural hairstyles, dreads. Do you think this type of discrimination still exists, ever existed? What are your thoughts? This has been a subject matter that's really hit the surface lately, like you said. But I think if people come to work and they're presentable and they're within the policies of the organization, it should be about your work product. It shouldn't. It should have nothing to do with what your hair looks like. But I know people still judge people on their hairstyles because it, there's still biases that surrounding the subject matter. I still think it's, it involves a lack a lack of education surrounding our culture. I think it's curiosity, but I still think some of it's unconscious bias. However, I still think everyone has a right if they are within company policy to represent themselves as their true selves. The question I have to you guys is, sometimes I think we as African-Americans, we spend more time trying to decide how others in the workplace are going to perceive us based on our hairstyles. Do you feel that that's the case that you, you spend more time worrying about, should I wear braids today? Maybe I shouldn't put my hair up. I have a meeting. I shouldn't do this. Do you think from, from your standpoint, is that true? I probably overanalyze it, I'm sure, depending on what meeting I'm going to or who I'm going to be seeing. I think about even sometimes weeks in advance of how my hair should be during that time based on who I'm meeting with in the room. I remember even, you know, in a past job that there was a a young black girl, I had my hair natural and she walks up to me and she's like, you're wearing your hair like that at work? (laughs) You know, you can't wear your hair for a hair like that. Not at this organization. (laughs) Look it back or something, lay it down. I'm like, oh, (laughs) Um, (laughs) didn't realize. (laughs) So, so yeah, I think, you know, so, you know, to some degree, we probably do give ourselves more grief about it than we, than we need to. I recently just this past weekend had lunch with a young lady and she said, um, we were talking about this subject and she said her company went on a trip and there was a, um, a black girl on her team and she said they were going to be in Hawaii for seven days. And so the black girl went and she got braids. She said her boss said to the young lady, are you going to be able to manage those braids while you're in Hawaii? And so, but I mean, I applaud the girl that I was talking to because she said to, she said to her boss, she said, would you have asked her that question if she had not been black? She said, if I had put my hair in braids and come, would it have been a question? I think people are more aware now than they used to be that people have the right to wear their hair the way they want to and different styles and different cultures relate to different races. And I think people are more accepting of that because she was quick to stand up for this this young lady and say, would you have asked her that question? And why does it matter? It has nothing to do with the job that we're going over here to do. So why does it matter? Yeah, and I used to feel mm. the same way. I think there it also depends on the company that you're working for. Now I'm more comfortable over these last couple of years, you know, with, with the D-backs and, and who I'm with now. But I think in the past, I was like scared to get braids. I was scared to explain, you know, what are extensions and how long did it take to do my hair? And oh my gosh, your hair grew overnight. Like, no, it did not <laughs> grow overnight. Um, so those discussions, it happened early and it, it made you feel, it made me feel uncomfortable in the beginning. Um, but now like I have twists in my hair as we speak. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And I feel comfortable, you know, if I want to put one strand that's burgundy or red in the front, I'll do it. Like, I don't, 
feel like I have to hide from who I am now. I think it's one, it, since we're all chiming in, clearly we have all like kind of had our experiences and our um, thoughts about this. I think originally these thoughts came from real employment practices, right? They had policies that would, would say we couldn't have certain hairstyles. When you're preparing for a career, these are things that they taught you as well, right? Mm -hmm. But now I think companies are more accepting of these cultural differences. And now it's us getting out of our way, as Mary mentioned before, knowing that people are aware of these cultural differences. You can express yourself, you can wear your hair however you feel comfortable, mm -hmm. right? So I, I think it's now we're at that point where you need to get out of your own way and put your hair in whatever neat hairstyle that, that, um, that feels good to you. Yeah, I think as long as you're presentable, I think that and you're, you're within guidelines, some guidelines where people can't wear braids because they're like they're if they're in a factory but they take precautions to, to put you to make sure you put your hair up so you don't injure yourself i guess in the uh, workspaces now like like you said maka i think people are more accepting i still think they're curious and i don't think they'll ever stop being curious because we can come up with some styles <laughs> however <laughs> however you know you have I, to explain it <laughs> Exactly, exactly. You've talked about, you know, the importance of having diversity within an organization. And for the organizations that you've been a part of, you know, that's been a focus for you as well. You know, you brought a lot of diversity programs to a lot of organizations, including one that I was a part of, which, you know, helped me get my foot in the door into sports. If you don't mind, just tell us a bit about some of the programs that you've developed and led in the past. When, um, because like I said, I came to an organization where there were very few, there was very uh, little diversity. So we were kind of on the front end of these things, of these programs. And, you know, one of the programs, you know, and I applaud my boss at the time for really having the, the wherewithal to say something doesn't look right. And that happened with our internship program. And we never had any people of color in our internship program and we couldn't figure out or put our finger on why, because I was recruiting and I was out there beating the bushes, trying to get people to come and understand what a great industry we worked in, but it wasn't happening. And so we finally created a program which, which was just strictly a minority internship program. It was for two reasons. One, uh, to give minorities students a look inside the industry. And the second thing was to help with our underutilization. And so we brought in these students, we gave them, you know, rotational um, experience. Our program was such that we wanted individuals to be seniors so that if a position came open, we were able to hire them right then, or we were able to make them an offer when they finished school, you know, that next semester to come into the organization. And it turned out to be very successful because each year we had the program, we employed at least 50% of the people that were in the program. And many of those people are still in sports and they're still doing great things. And like Kyra said, Kyra was a product of the program. And, you know, I think these types of programs are still needed. And I hope as we go through, you know, talking about, you know, racial injustice and organizations are putting together um, sustainable plans, which hopefully equate to sustainable results, that they start including more of these plans or at least taking a step back and looking at the composition of those programs to see, are we excelling or are we not excelling? That was the first one. The second one I was involved with, and, and I didn't create it. Uh, Wendy Lewis was the brainchild of the 
Major League Baseball Diversity Business Summit. That summit, you know, was created again because there was an underutilization on not just on the workforce side, but on the procurement side. So it was a very great event. It was a three-day event and where applicants got to come and have a firsthand look of the inner workings of baseball and then the opportunity to meet with 30-plus leaders with hopes of securing positions and contracts and service in Major League Baseballs and with the teams. And that program, I don't ever remember there still being one like that in sports, but it generated hundreds of positions. It generated thousands of dollars being spent with um, women and um, minority vendors. It was very successful, and, and Jakara was a part of that program. And so, I mean, you guys can speak to the programs yourselves, but I, I thought that they really set us apart as an industry at the time of really trying to identify top minority talent to work in our industry. I agree. And I am so thankful for the MLB Diversity Summit, for Wendy Lewis, and for you, because without the MLB Diversity Summit, I would not be in baseball. And that's a fact because I grew up in a football family. So my job in sports, or at least what I thought I would be, would be in football or basketball or something else. But thankful for the MLB Diversity Summit. Now I am a baseball fan. I definitely feel like more companies should really be, you know, having programs like this. Because I, I find it a little disturbing when I hear companies say they don't think that there's diverse candidates out there or minorities aren't interested in, let's say, baseball. <laughs> you know, so I think it's really important to have those type of programs, particularly when, you know, at the end of the day, you know, often it's about who you know when getting your foot into the door in terms of companies and organizations. And if you don't have a diverse company, more than likely who you're recommending probably looks like you, you know? So um, I think these, you know, type of programs are just so important, so important to be able to, you know, get those diverse candidates um, within these organizations. So Mary, you've switched to the independent consulting side and have your own firm. And I know you've been busy over these last few months with HR consulting and DNI. Can you just tell us a little bit about the work that you've done over these last few months? I'm really helping clients navigate the new normal for their employees. Not just working on the physical part of it, but working on the emotional part of it. Because people don't realize you've changed people's normal totally now. So now they're not just sitting at work where they can just focus on what they're doing. No, they have Johnny over here who wants lunch, or now you're doing virtual teaching, you know, you're doing virtual teaching, you know, they're still having to figure out how to, how to maintain their households. And so really working with companies to, to help figure that out and, you know, how to stay in touch and really be in tune to their employees during these times. The other thing has been co coaching employees who were either furloughed and haven't been called back or have employees who had their jobs eliminated and helping them figure out what's next. So trying to walk them through that process and keep their spirits up because there's so many people that are in the same situations that they're in. So yeah, a lot of people are hopeless that they're never going to get back in and they're never going to get jobs. And when is my company going to call me back? Because I have a family and I have to support my family while I'm waiting to be called back. So it's just a trying time for a lot of organizations. And then, you know, we have the whole racial injustice subject matter that, you know, I've been working with um, some of the, the clients on talking about the town hall meetings, talking about what kind of trainings they can put in place, but also talking about that, those safe spaces that they're 
creating, which I think are there to invoke change and open the, the lines of communication. Those are the, the main three things that I, I've been focusing on on the last and of the last since COVID hit. And so, like I say, it's a, a blessing and a curse that we're going through right now. And so I'm going to continue to do what I do to, to, to help people because I think the most valuable assets you can have in a company are your employees. Absolutely. And corporate America, including professional sports teams, have been conditioned in the past to respond to racial issues internally or externally. But over the past few months, we've seen teams and organizations have these conversations more frequently internally with their staff. How should employees be using the new opportunity to speak directly to their organization leaders to promote change? The door is open for them. What type of things should they be doing now that they have this opportunity to speak? When you start talking about these subject matters, you know, when I was coming up, it was like, don't talk about politics. Don't talk about race. Don't talk about religion. That's how we came out of business school going into the work world that our, you know, our, our professors prepared us for. Those are discussions you just don't want to have because they may be controversial. You don't understand how they're going to be received. You don't know what the person's going to do with the information that they're discussing with you. So we were always taught to be very uh, careful in having those types of conversations. I think that, you know, now it's changed. People are open to hear, open to discuss. When it comes to discussing these issues, I think you have to gauge your audience. I think you have to decide who am I having this conversation with and how is that going to reflect on me having this conversation? Because everybody you talk to may not use your information to benefit you. And so I think you have to really be careful in having those conversations. I don't think you should shy away from having those conversations because we're at a, we're at a time where people are wanting to hear it. And that hasn't been for years that people really wanted to hear what you had to say. I've been in situations now listening to people in different companies and I'm talking to African-Americans who are saying, you know what, I'm tired of talking, I'm tired of listening, I'm tired of explaining, I'm tired of hearing, you know, I didn't know. And so now we're in a position where people want to hear. So before we had organizations, we were upset when organizations didn't want to talk. And now we're still upset now that organizations want to talk. I think if ever you were going to use your voice, I think the time is now for you to be using your voice. Because if we don't seize this opportunity, who knows when it's going to come around again? Because in these issues, what happens is they happen. There's all the pomp and circumstances. Like right now, there's protesting, there's company ads, there's town hall meetings. All of these things are occurring. But what happens when it's no longer popular? So what happens when nobody's, the protesters go home, the commercials come down, the athletes aren't speaking out? Does this go back on the back burner? This is the time when we need to use our voice and not only we need to use our voice, we also need to step up as employees and hold our organizations accountable that this, the plans that they put in are for sustainable change, that they're gonna be results. I think we need to start doing things right now in a manner where we are meant to educate and not alienate. Absolutely. 
So we're going to dive into our lightning round. Just some quick questions, and we're just expecting quick answers. First question, who is your second favorite athlete? Since we know your favorite athlete is Serena Williams. <laughs> well, I'm, I hate to say he got hurt this week, but Dak Prescott of the, uh, of the Dallas Cowboys is my favorite, um, my second favorite athlete, because you know, he is, you know, Dallas Cowboys are number one. <laughs> Maybe not even in the ratings, but we're all we're always number one because we're team. <laughs> so I go with Dak for my uh, number two. Okay, that's acceptable, even though you're a Cowboys fan. <laughs> okay, lightning round question number two. What is your favorite vacation spot? My favorite vacation spot, which I hope to go to if we ever get <laughs> ever the quarantine gets lifted. Is that uh, Santorini, Greece? Oh, take it sits me on top of it's all white and it sits on top of just blue water. It's a good choice. Last Beautiful. question: What's your favorite quote? My favorite quote is comes from my dad, and if he said it once, he said it a thousand times when I was growing up. And he said, "If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything." And that's something that I have always lived by. If I needed to speak, I spoke. If I needed to fight for change, then I fought. And I think him resting in peace, that has always stuck with me. That is an awesome quote. Awesome quote and a, and a great way to, to kind of wrap up our episode today. Thank you so much, Miriam, for joining us. I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, this was awesome. Thank you again. Well, thank all of you for having me.